0: Mississippi against Johnson, 1867. These are the facts. The Reconstruction Acts passed in March 1867 divided the rebel states into five military districts. Each military district was to be governed by an officer of the army under military rule to continue until the southern states complied with certain conditions established by the Congress for readmission to the Union. The acts gave the president the duty of administering the laws, including the duty to assign the officers and to detail the military forces. Resentment of the military rule was strongly felt in the South. This case reflected an attempt on the part of Mississippi to prevent the enforcement of the laws by enjoining President Johnson from appointing the chief military officer for the Mississippi District. President Johnson himself had opposed the Reconstruction Act's and had vetoed them when Congress first passed them. They were later passed over his veto, and in making the appointment of a military governor, he acted in accordance with their requirements.
1: The argument by the attorney for Mississippi. May it please the court. In this case, we ask for an injunction as a command to the president to refrain from doing a particular act since the law under which he seeks to exercise authority is unconstitutional and therefore void. In this country the President is not above the law. It is above him and hence he must be subject to its restraints. The President is but the creature of the Constitution. He is one of its agencies created to carry it into practical operation. It would be strange indeed if the President should be permitted to exert his agency in violating that instrument, and then claim exemption from the process of the courts, among whose duties it is to guard it against abuses, on the ground that he is the chief executive officer of the government and not subject to judicial
2: restraint. The argument by the Solicitor General for President Johnson. May it please the court. It is manifest here that the claim made against President Johnson is not made against him as an individual, as a natural person, but is a claim exerted against him in his official capacity as President of the United States. The evil complained of, so far as he is concerned, is in the execution of what he considers to be his official duty to execute certain acts of Congress. The contention is, that since he is about to execute certain laws passed by Congress, which in the opinion of the complainants in this case are unconstitutional and void, he must subordinate his executive judgment and authority to that of the court who will in turn instruct him on how he is to act. Is not this proposition subversive of all ideas of what government is and of the purposes for which a president is put in the executive chair? An attempt has been made in argument to distinguish between the president and a king or queen of Great Britain. For it is generally acknowledged by everyone that there is no authority in England for a suit or a subpoena against the head of the government. But it is said that that depended upon the divinity which hedged a king or crowned head. That with us, our president had no such immunity. That he could do wrong although the king of England could not do wrong. That he was liable to punishment, liable under certain circumstances to process, and they attempted to make a distinction between the two. In their individual capacities, there is a great difference between the president and a king. But so far as their high office is concerned, we most emphatically deny that there is a particle less dignity belonging to the office of President, than to the office of King of Great Britain. The President represents the majesty of the law and of the people as fully and as essentially as does any absolute monarch or the head of any independent government in the world. The immunity of the President is not his because there is any particular sanctity belonging to him as an individual, As is the case of royalty, but it is because the United States is above the jurisdiction of any court. Although the council in their bill have stated that the president himself felt that the laws were unconstitutional and expressed his opinion by his original veto, it is clear that from the moment they were passed over his veto there was but one duty in his estimation resting upon him. And that was faithfully to carry out and execute these laws, however at variance with his personal views.
1: The Opinion of the Court by Chief Justice Chase. A motion was made in behalf of the State of Mississippi for leave to file a bill in the name of the State, praying this Court perpetually to enjoin and restrain Andrew Johnson President of the United States, from executing or in any manner carrying out certain acts of Congress therein named. The acts referred to are those of March 2nd and March 23rd, 1867, commonly known as the Reconstruction Acts. We shall limit our inquiry to the question presented by the objection without expressing any opinion on the broader issues discussed in argument whether, in any case, the President of the United States may be required by the process of this court to perform a purely ministerial act under a positive law, or may be held amenable in any case otherwise than by impeachment for crime. The single point which requires consideration is this can the President be restrained by injunction from carrying into effect an act of Congress alleged to be unconstitutional? It is assumed by the Council for the State of Mississippi that the President, in the execution of the Reconstruction Acts, is required to perform a mere ministerial duty. In this assumption there is, we think, a confounding of the terms ministerial and executive, which are by no means equivalent in import. A ministerial duty, the performance of which may, in proper cases, be required of the head of a department by judicial process, is one in respect to which nothing is left to discretion. It is a simple, definite duty arising under conditions admitted or proved to exist and imposed by law. The case of Marbury against Madison, Secretary of State, furnishes an illustration. A citizen had been nominated, confirmed, and appointed a justice of the peace for the District of Columbia, and his commission had been made out, signed, and sealed. Nothing remained to be done except delivery, and the duty of delivery was imposed by law on the Secretary of State. It was held that the performance of this duty might be enforced by mandamus issuing from a court having jurisdiction. Very different is the duty of the President in the exercise of the power to see that the laws are faithfully executed, and among these laws, the acts named in the bill. By the first of these acts, he is required to assign generals to command in the several military districts, and to detail sufficient military force to enable such officers to discharge their duties under the law. By the supplementary act, other duties are imposed on the several commanding generals, and these duties must necessarily be performed under the supervision of the President as Commander-in-Chief. The duty thus imposed on the president is in no just sense ministerial. It is purely executive and political. It is true that in the instance before us, the interposition of the court is not sought to enforce action by the executive under constitutional legislation, but to restrain such action under legislation alleged to be unconstitutional. But we are unable to perceive that this circumstance takes the case out of the general principles which forbid judicial interference with the exercise of executive discretion. The Congress is the legislative department of the government. The President is the executive department. Neither can be restrained in its action by the judicial department, though the acts of both, when performed, are in proper cases subject to its cognizance. The impropriety of such interference will be clearly seen upon consideration of its possible consequences. Suppose the bill filed and the injunction prayed for allowed. If the president refuses obedience, it is needless to observe that the court is without power to enforce its process. If, on the other hand, the president complies with the order of the court and refuses to execute the acts of Congress, is it not clear that a collision may occur between the executive and legislative departments of the government? May not the House of Representatives impeach the president for such refusal? And in that case, could this court interfere in behalf of the president thus endangered by compliance with its mandate, and restrained by injunction the Senate of the United States from sitting as a court of impeachment? Would the strange spectacle be offered to the public of an attempt by this court to arrest proceedings in that court? These questions answer themselves. It is true that a state may file an original bill in this court, and it may be true in some cases That such a bill may be filed against the United States. But we are fully satisfied that this court has no jurisdiction of a bill to enjoin the President in the performance of his official duties, and that no such bill ought to be received by us. The motion for leave to file the bill is, therefore, denied.